Good morning, Cornerstone, and welcome to our online service. And we also welcome those who are visiting us today from other parts of Australia and even across the world. The separation has been difficult and we're missing each other a lot. It's going to be a great celebration, isn't it? Where we can all meet together face to face. The isolation reminds me, in fact, of the time when I met Amanda Sue back in the last century. Not long after we met, she came down with a chicken pox and she was stuck at home for a week or two. Now, I wasn't happy about that. I just met this wonderful person and now I couldn't see her. But because we couldn't see each other, we got on the phone. And I remember some long phone calls made on a big old heavy cream colored telephone with a dial and a curly cord. Now, looking back, that forced separation worked out really well. It was an opportunity for us to get to know one another without the distraction, at least on my side, of those big blue eyes and that long brown hair. Because it is only when you sit down and talk to someone for hours at a time that you really get to know them. It's only then that you really get to know what they love and what they hate, what their deepest desires and goals are, what they yearn for, and what their heart and character is like. It's only when you talk to someone at length that you find out who they really are. As Jesus said, our mouths speak from the overflow of our hearts. In Revelation 15, we hear a song that is being sung in heaven. It is being sung right now by Christians who have gone before us, who have won the race and who have finished the fight. It's being sung by Christians who have been fully freed from their sinful desires, by Christians who are face to face with Jesus Christ. And this song overflows from the hearts of these Christians in heaven. And it shows us their mind and their character and who they really are. It shows us what they love and what they hate. It shows us what their greatest desires are. It shows us what they really yearn for. I heard an interview recently with the jazz singer Diane Reeves. And she was talking about an album that she was particularly proud of. And she said, if you want to hear my soul, this is the album to listen to. It's good to hear and to study Revelation 15 and the song that's in the middle of Revelation 15, because these are the words that pour out of the hearts of Christians in heaven. In this song, we hear the beating heart of the Christian. And so this song should challenge us. It's something we're going to be singing for all eternity. And so it forces us to ask, do I like this song? Do I care about it? Do I want to be singing it? And if I don't, then I really need to ask myself, where is my faith at? And so this song may well bring us to repentance and renewed faith in Christ.
But above all, this song should inspire us. This song will be pouring out of our hearts for all eternity if we are Christians. And it shows us what Jesus is right now shaping our hearts to be like. And so it should inspire us to press closer to Christ in his word and in prayer and to trust him more and to want our hearts to grow to be more like the hearts of those who are singing this song in the middle of Revelation 15. Bit of a recap. Remember that Revelation displays to us the last days seven times over. It shows us the last days in chapters 2 and 3 through Jesus' seven letters to the church. It shows us the last days in Revelation 4 to 7 through the breaking of the seven seals. And then it shows us the last days a third time in Revelation 8 to 11 through the blasting of the seven trumpets. And then a fourth time in chapters 12 to 14 where we saw this war between the dragon and the woman representing the church. Revelation 15 begins the fifth section of the book of Revelation, the fifth section comprising of chapters 15 and 16, which describe the pouring out of the seven bowls of the fury of God. I hope you've got your Bibles open and look with me now to Revelation 15, verse 1. And before I begin to read it, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will open our eyes and unblock our ears and soften our hearts so that we may see and hear and receive what your word is saying to us now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them the wrath of God is completed. The judgments that we saw falling through the breaking of the seven seals and the sounding of the seven trumpets were partial judgments. They were, they were foreshadowing the final judgment to come. Death and Hades, which were released with the breaking of the fourth seal, were given power over a fourth of the earth. And the trumpets heralded destruction upon a third of the earth. But the seven plagues poured out from the seven bowls in Revelation 15 and 16 bring complete and final destruction upon sinful humanity. With the seven plagues, we see final judgment falling. But before we see God's judgment plagues, we see God himself. Look there at verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. You'll remember that we first saw that sea of glass back in chapter 4. It stretches out in front of God's throne, and God's throne is above that sea of glass. And in chapter 4, we saw around the throne of God the 24 elders who represent the church of the Old and New Testaments. And we saw four living creatures reflecting a lion, an ox, 
an eagle and a human, representing the royal power, strength, swift judgment, and wisdom of God. And we saw, back in Revelation 4, a great host of angels, 10,000 times 10,000, and all creation worshipping him who sits on the throne and the Lamb. So when John tells us about this sea of glass in chapter 15, we must see again with our mind's eye this great scene that was first shown to us in Revelation 4. We must see again this great worshipping multitude around the throne of the Lamb. Let's remember what that sea of glass represents. It separates God from his creation. It shows us that God transcends his creation. It denies pantheism that God's being is somehow composed of creation. Instead, it affirms biblical theism, that God is a personal being who created the universe, but who transcends it and who rules it. In chapter 15, the sea of glass ominously is now glowing with fire. Now the camera zooms in on the saved multitude around the throne. Have a look there at verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. Here are Christians who died faithful, who stood firm under pressure. And so they are described as being victorious over the beast. They refused to worship the creature over the creator. They refused to take the beast's number, 666, on their hands and foreheads. What are these blessed and victorious Christians doing? Look again at verse 2. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. That God gives them their harps, their instruments of praise, reminds us that a person only turns from being a slave of the beast to becoming a worshipping child of God when God himself frees them from that slavery. And they sing a song that is also called the song of God's servant Moses, because it so closely resembles Moses' final song recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And it is called a song of the Lamb, because it is directed towards the throne where the Lamb is. It is a song about the Lamb, and it is a song sung to the Lamb. And because Jesus Christ is that lamb, this is a song sung about Jesus and to Jesus. It is the new song that we heard about in Revelation 14. As I said before, if you're a Christian, you're going to be singing this song for all eternity. And it is a song that we learn to sing right now. Let's look at it together. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord 
God Almighty. Lord God Almighty is a direct reference to the Lord of the Old Testament. It refers directly to Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. It refers directly to El Shaddai, God Almighty. It refers to the Lord who called Abraham to a new land and who made a covenant with him. It refers to the Lord who met Moses at the burning bush. It refers to the Lord who redeemed his people with mighty power from the land of Egypt. It refers to the Lord who gave to his people his great law at Mount Sinai. And in this song, we sing to the Lamb, we sing to Jesus Christ as that same Lord God Almighty. Jesus is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord Almighty. Jesus is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He fought a great battle for you on the cross to pay for your sins. And he fought a great battle for you and defeated death and the grave. And he freed you with a mighty hand from your chains of sin. And day by day he upholds you with his mighty strength. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Jesus Christ, Lord God Almighty. That's how this wonderful song begins. The heavenly hosts go on to sing, Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. The big mistake of the Canaanites in the Old Testament was to think that, that the Lord was some kind of regional God, maybe a regional God of Palestine. But the Jews fell into the same mistake when they thought that the Lord was the God of the Jewish people, the Hebrews only, and not the God of the Gentiles. And we fall into that mistake when we only think of Jesus as the God and King of Christians. This heavenly song proclaims that Jesus is King of the nations, of every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. Because he created the heavens and the earth, and all people. And whether we like to believe it or not, Jesus Christ is God of all peoples, whether Jew or Gentile, Christian or unbeliever, atheist or agnostic, he is Lord over all. And just and true are his ways, sings the heavenly host. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And Christians are followers of the way. We see that in the book of Acts. Now, sometimes we can feel like we're standing in the middle of a, a sports stadium and there are thousands of people seated in that stadium and they're all shouting at us, go that way, no, go this way, come in this direction, no, go in that direction. It can be very confusing and bewildering. But we can know 
that Jesus' way is just and true. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Let's look at the next part of this, this wonderful song in verse 4. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. The Bible gives us many depictions of people who found themselves unexpectedly in the presence of the holy God, the only holy God. We think of Moses, who was leading his father-in-law's flock of sheep out in the wilderness of Horeb near Mount Sinai. And all of a sudden, he comes across this, this bush, which is burning, but which is not consumed. And God speaks to him from that bush and tells Moses to take off his sandals, for he was standing on holy ground. And we read that Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And in Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah came in a vision, unexpectedly, into the presence of God's throne room. And he heard the, the cherubim calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is is full of his glory. And Isaiah was disintegrated. And he said, Woe to me, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And we see Saul in Acts chapter 9, Saul the Pharisee, confronted with this same holy Lord God Almighty on the road to Damascus. And the Lord appeared to him in that, that great heavenly light, brighter than the sun. And Saul was blinded by that, and he fell to the ground in fear. We think also of that, that crowd of people on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, listening to Peter preaching about Jesus' death and resurrection. And they too, through Jesus, through Peter's preaching, they too came face to face with the Holy God, Jesus Christ. And Peter said to them, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I've given these examples of people who came face to face with the Lord Almighty, the only holy God, because it teaches us so much about what it means to become a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. To become a Christian is to come face to face with Jesus Christ 
It is to see the truth about him, that he is the holy and almighty God. And it is to see our sin. And it is to see the horror of our sin and what our sin deserves from a holy God. That's how Christian faith begins. And that's how Christian faith goes on, being confronted with Jesus Christ in all his holiness and seeing our sin and all that it deserves. And then it is to see that Jesus holds out his hands to us. Not to strike us down in judgment, but to take us in his arms and to help us and to forgive us and to save us. To become a Christian is to, to turn from our sin and to take hold of those hands which are held out to us in love and grace. And when you do take those hands, the hands of Jesus, you'll see that they are wounded hands, wounded by his death upon the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. This brings us to the final part of this brilliant song in Revelation chapter 15, the song that is being sung right now by our Christian brothers and sisters who have gone before us into heaven. Look again at verse 4, where we hear them singing, All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It fits in exactly with the song of Revelation 15. All nations will come and worship before you. The Bible teaches us that we will all come to bring glory to Jesus in one way or another, every human being without exception. And we will come to bring glory to him either reluctantly, with hearts full of hate and fear, in reluctant acceptance of, of who he is and, and deep regret that we did not know this or recognize this before. Or we will come gladly with hearts full of love and joy. Now, for those who are not Christians, to think about worshipping Jesus Christ in heaven for all eternity, that doesn't sound very attractive to you. It probably sounds boring to you. And it's boring to you because Jesus' righteous acts haven't yet been revealed to you. That Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because when you have seen that, and I was reading, of course, from Philippians chapter 2 again, when you have seen what Jesus has done, when you have seen what the heavenly host call his righteous acts, when you have seen and owned his incarnation and his life and his death on the cross and his burial in the tomb and then his resurrection and then his ascension into heaven, when you have seen these things and believe them and own them for yourself, then singing Jesus' praises will be your greatest delight. No one who has seen Jesus' righteous acts and who believes in them and who has owned them for themselves could possibly think that worshipping Jesus for all eternity could be boring. It's, it's our greatest thrill. The prospect of doing this is our greatest delight. We join with the, the sons of Korah who sang in Psalm 84, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Today we have heard the words that pour out from the hearts of victorious Christians in heaven. Now, if you're listening to this and you're a Christian, then your spirit is going to be groaning as you, as you listen to this, this song of the heavenly hosts. You, you'll be feeling a sense of, of frustration because our sinful habits and our sinful memories and our selfishness and the ongoing sinful desires of the flesh, they're like lead weights which pull down arms which should be lifted up in praise like the heavenly host we've been reading about. And you'll be groaning because temptation is like a heavy yoke bowing down our heads, which should be lifted up and, and gazing heavenward towards the throne and towards the Lamb and the only holy God. And our defeats gag us, don't they? They hold us back from the shouts of praise that we've been reading about today. This revelation of Christians in heaven singing songs of praise, it makes us long to be in heaven when we will be glorified, when we will be finally freed from sin, finally freed from the habits and the struggles and the temptations and the failures of sin. Finally freed to lift up our arms and heads and voices without any hindrance of sin and to sing with all our heart, great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? 
for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. We long for that. We long to be finally freed from the habits of sin and the temptation of sin. When we can sing this song with all our heart and mind and soul and strength, but we don't wait until then. We don't wait until heaven before we begin to sing this song. We begin to sing it right now. Because even now, we are seated in the heavenly places and we are filled with the Spirit of Jesus. And even now, you are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, let us walk every day in repentance and faith. And every day, the Spirit will lift up our arms and our heads a little higher, and we'll make our voices a little stronger so that we can sing with the heavenly host, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Amen. <laughs>